We're standing on the edge of a precipice, boys. It's the end. The end of the 2010s. The dawn of a new decade is right over the horizon. I'm Matisse Van Rossum, and I'm ready to just jump. Uh, I'm Ben, and I can't really tell you any of the trends of the 2010s. I feel like there weren't really any. <laughs> I could say for the last decade it was like transition lenses, but uh, <laughs> I think if I had to summarize like the early aughts. What's like, the transition lenses of the 2010s? What is the transition lenses of the 2010s? Uh, the floss dance. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. That's it. You're right. Fortnite dancing is, is, the, is, is the, the thing. Tr- yeah. That's or the up. dab. Yeah, I don't know what the fashion is, but yeah, like definitely Fortnite dances. And, well, and we're is... we're here and we're getting ready to floss our way into 2020. <laughs> oh, and uh, of course, I'm uh, Cleveland Mosier and uh, Tease. I'm I'm leaping over that precipice with you, and you're damn right. I am not bringing a parachute. If the end is nigh, I don't think I want to survive. Oh yeah. It's that time of year again, folks. The time where we look back on everything we've learned and seen and experienced this year. But since it's also not just the end of a year, but the end of a decade, we're going to be diving a little bit into some of our favorite and least favorite films of the 2010s. So yes, this is the first of a two-part episode. uh, And in this episode, we will be first discussing our top five films of 2019. We covered... 61 movies this year wow i I saw and out of those uh 19 of them were new movies so we have been keeping up to date this year boys this is probably the best we've done of of keeping current so far yeah this is just in general not even regard to horror movies the most current i think i've ever been in my life we definitely pulled you out from under your stone. You've been doing it. You've been doing it. I mean, the sunlight is a little glaring on my goblin eyes, but I'm getting I'm starting to get used to it. You know, you learn to live by night. True. <laughs> that's that's when I come out of my cave. There's a world of color to be seen. <laughs> All right. Well, what's first, Ben? OK, so we'll start with the top five of 2019 just get right into uh, and it. just jump right into it so it's time we're uh, just like the cliff we're leaping at number five for me was a movie that came up and surprised me a movie that i didn't really have much expectations going into and was really pleasantly surprised and ended up really loving it it's a little movie called ready or not that's also my number five okay, so i'll great. just wrap it in yeah there with yeah you. This was a very, very fun movie, um, a lot funnier than I was expecting. Samara Weaving's performance in particular is really standout in it. I agree. I was uh, very pleasantly surprised with this movie, just like you. I think we all went in with extremely low expectations mm-hmm. for Ready or Not. The trailers did not quite do it justice, and man, it is so fun, so well done, so well acted. Uh, yeah, it, it's my number five as well. Probably the dark horse of the year for me. Yeah, I, and honestly, is. one of the most fun experiences I had at the theater this year. Years, yes. I think, for yeah, fun. Absolutely. When it comes to having like fun watching a movie, like, well, I mean, John Wick was pretty great, too, if we're, we're comparing like fun moments in cinema. Yeah. But right or not, no, was, I agree. It's, it was right up there with John Wick 3 for me for most fun experiences. And like, it does some Something that you don't see too often in horror movies where it does both 
both the horror and the levity extremely well, has a fantastic balance of both, great sense of dramatic irony, and uh, yeah, just a really fantastic fun It's the film. perfect combination of your next and Clue that I never knew I wanted. Exactly. Yes. I would be very curious to see more uh, from the makers of Ready or Not, because I think there's a, there's a lot of good shit there. Well, speaking of uh, balancing horror and levity, my number five is uh, also surprised me. It's chapter two. Oh, nice. Like, nice. It, it made it that high up. I loathed the first one. When I well, yeah, uh, you hadn't I seen it, it before, and yeah. you really didn't like yeah, it. Yeah, I railed it, um, and I went in with the lowest expectations for it, Chapter 2. Y'all practically dragged me to go see it, and I loved it. I, I, thought, it was, I thought it was a blast, and it was surprisingly faithful. This applies more to my, my decade list, but I, I tried to kind of sit down and ask myself, like, how? I was, I'm rating these films, and I decided to go by, like, rewatchability. Like, how much would I want to go back and watch a film again? Sure. Um, which, and that's the lowest aspect of rating for me, because in horror, some of my favorite films are films I never want to see ever again. Because they're, they're so harrowing, like, and I, I just, I don't want to do that to myself on a regular <laughs> basis, as effective as that film might be. So, but I, I rated on that, and then just, like, it's singular, like, best moments, you know, like, what really stands out about that film to me. So anyway, yeah, uh, and in chapter two, like, the funhouse scene, like, popping through the door, the fireflies under the bleachers, there are just some spectacular moments in that movie, and the actors just really, like, rocked the performance for it so i yeah, yeah I, it's it's number five for me yeah uh i i really enjoyed it chapter two as well it didn't make it as as high as number five for me but it was definitely in my top 10 mm -hmm. yeah uh, it's a really solid choice like you said does a really good job of balancing the comedy and the horror i was really impressed with how well the adult actors channeled the children that they were you know supposed to be portraying and like man the the big climax at the end with clown spider it's totally off the wall and goofy and fun and yeah i had a, I had a really good time in that one so yeah. i mean it's a good choice there is the one like i do have a one big asterisk on that film is i do still see it as reprehensible that mike was tokenified Sure. Like, and I think that doesn't need to be like just kind of like just snuck in there. Like we talked more about that in yeah. our it episode, so feel free to go back and listen to those if you haven't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know about you guys. I did want to mention. I think every single one of my choices here has been talked about it on an episode at length. Oh yeah, uh, mine too. All time uh, mine. Or at so, least my best of. Mm -hmm. So uh, any of these that we're talking about, we've done at some point. You can go back through our backlog and check it out. Uh, ben, what is your number four? My number four. This, as we all know, is the year of the sophomore release for the sophomore bump horror directors. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, there's no better example of the sophomore bump than a little film called Us. I thought this movie was a ton of fun. I, it's a movie I feel like I still need to rewatch, kind of see how it sticks with me a little bit more. But I think it's a really incredible movie. All the performances are great. Really, really unique vision, too. All right. Uh, also a very good choice. My number four uh, is one that we have talked about very recently on the show. Uh, my number four is Jennifer Kent's The Nightingale. Uh, on the subject of harrowing films that I don't want to rewatch anytime soon, but definitely left quite an impact, The Nightingale is that. I won't 
rehash too much of it since we literally uh, just talked about it pretty recently. Uh, but man, what a fucking killer film. Great performances uh, and some of the most uncomfortable cinema moments I've experienced, not just in 2019, but in general. Uh, speaking of, I, I want to note that, you know, it's November 24th at the time of recording this podcast. A lot of these films are still extremely fresh in my mind. This list is very newly made. I think as time passes and I have just more time to, to steep and think on these films, uh, my my choices will, will likely change. Stuff shifts. Yeah, I, a good I, deal. Even, I keep I a think. ranked list on Letterboxd of my of, of every year. I've done it since 2014. And I go back and I look at them sometimes, and sometimes I shift things around. Yeah. Like, man, I really loved this film at the time, but it didn't really stick with me, and this other film is actually better. So, you know, I think it's... Uh, opinions change, and art ages just like wine. So, True. Uh, you know, some ages better than others. Some is really great right when it comes out, right when it's new. But over time, meh, you never know. Yeah. One of the key reasons I brought that up is that was actually in a pretty good deal of contest with me for It Chapter 2 and The Nightingale. And there's such difficult choices to pick from. And I had to go. Very, with, very different films. And if, yeah, if I was seriously. going to choose to go back and watch a film again, I'd probably go back and watch It Chapter 2 first. Uh, not because it's a better film, but because it's, I I couldn't handle it's more watching it's more it again. digestible. Um, yeah, I I but I will say I do think the Nightingale is a better film. You know, again, the list is very subject to change, so I wouldn't put that there. But my number four is uh, Ready or Not. That's where that's nice. where it goes for me. I adored it uh, when it comes to best moments. The end of the film, which I'm not gonna, I don't wanna accidentally spoil, is excellent. Like one of my favorite moments in cinema of the year. It's such a wonderful take on the the most dangerous game. And it feels as the aesthetic of a murder mystery, and it's all very eclectic and comedic, and all the jokes land. Ditto everything you've said. It's delightful. Go see it. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Ben, number three. Okay, so my number three was a little film by that sick fuck, Gaspar No, none other than Climax. The dance sequences were stunning, and I'm usually not the biggest dance person, like... I know you loved Suspiria partially because of the dance. But I'm not I think, a big dance person either. I just thought that Suspiria I, did it well. I, I think it hit that area for me with Climax because the dance really went into the story in a really unique way. This dance troupe being drugged with LSD without their knowledge is so horrifying. And Gaspar Noe does a, such a great job of bringing you into the environment and it's one of the most immersive movies i've seen this year really incredible stuff uh i would definitely recommend going out and seeing it yeah climax is uh climax made my top 10 climax is actually uh i i had it in my sixth spot so just outside of our top five but man uh similarly harrowing to the nightingale but in a very different way uh yeah definitely check out climax and go back and listen to our episode on that the reason it's not on my list is simply because i haven't seen it yet so 
yeah. we, we'll try to Speaking change that subject soon. to change I'll, I'll just go ahead and say that my my top three are all uh sophomore bump films or i guess my top four if we're talking uh yeah if we're talking the nightingale uh so my my third place is uh the lighthouse by robert eggers uh we talked about that one fairly recently too man what an incredible fucking film uh saw it twice in the theaters go listen to our episode on the lighthouse it is just continuing robert eggers legacy of being like the guy to do period pieces uh at this point and absolutely incredible performances from robert pattinson and willem dafoe watching them go crazy and uh destroy each other and themselves is uh it's just a wild ride it's totally engrossing i think from here on out we can pretty confidently say that the rest of the films on our list all got five out of fives like for the year from oh us. yeah yeah yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. confidently yes. like this uh, we're gonna say it again and again but this year good lord yeah. crazy yeah. Yeah. yeah my number three uh is us that's where it's going for me i adored that film and i'm already very keen to watch it again and share it with more people it's a delight and when it comes to key moments in films nothing speaks to me like that scissor fight scene it's Ooh. it's so good but um bum like oh man <laughs> it just it just gives me like all the like the the happy like goose bumps it, and the the glass house when i think it's uh fuck the police yeah when fuck the police yeah. comes on like man what a great movie what an yeah. absolute fucking delight um number two for me is midsummer same really engrossing pagan horror there's not enough pagan it's horror it's one of the I'm best concerned. breakup movies out there <laughs> i found it surprisingly funny a lot of times too uh funnier than i was definitely expecting especially coming out of Hereditary. Ari Aster kills it yet again. My number two is Us. That's why I didn't say anything when uh, you mentioned it earlier, Ben. Uh, yeah, won't rehash too much of what you said, but uh, I, I only got the chance to see it the once. Uh, I'm aching for a rewatch because I feel like there's so much stuff to unpack in that movie, just like in Get Out. And like Get Out just grew more and more on me like every time I saw it. And I feel like is the same uh i'm very overdue for a rewatch but man like you said that that scissor fight scene at the end and just like the twists and turns that it takes and lupita nyong'o's performance like five out of fucking five across everything Mm -hmm. yeah any any year any of these would be at the top of the list uh so yeah like i said uh, choosing between choosing between these top three was Mm -hmm. was difficult uh and you know for midsummer i think when it comes to key moments saying Speaking of leaps, right? I'll leave it at that. But wow, harrowing. Um, Absolutely. And, and that, the soundtrack is great. Exactly. Yeah, the oh, score is like, fantastic. Hacks and Cloak just, just killed it. And just so much good traditional Ari Aster music. And the is, art is incredible. Ari is on a roll with getting people to score his movies, like having Colin Stetson do Hereditary and the Hacks and Cloak do uh, Midsommar. I'm holding out for his next film to be scored by Lingua Ignota. That's Ooh. what I want. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Uh, what's your number one, Ben? I think. Uh, well, know. yeah, it's the lighthouse. Same. It's the yeah. lighthouse. Mm-hmm. It's such a perfect movie. Uh, nothing like seeing two of your favorite actors get shit faced and uh, sing sea shanties in a lighthouse. I think this movie will definitely stand the test of time. I have seen it a couple times at this point. I feel fairly confident saying that even though I absolutely love The Witch, I think I prefer The Lighthouse. 
It's my favorite of the year and one of my favorite horror films of all time. It's fantastic. Yeah, I think we'll definitely get more into that conversation uh, when we get into the decade as well. It will certainly come up again because I'm extremely torn on which one I prefer had, you know, have I to choose. Uh, they're masterworks uh, equally. The Lighthouse is, is a, absolutely my, my number one pick as well. Um, sorry to spill my beans on that, <laughs> but uh, the, the cinematography is is just out of this world. The, the cursing sequence is just so vividly ingrained in my mind. Comparing it and The Witch, it's extremely difficult. It's an extremely difficult choice to make. I think that they're both masterclass films. I've seen The Witch like five times, and I've only seen The Lighthouse the once, so I'll definitely be needing to rewatch it many more times to more confidently say which one I like I like more. But as for this year, it's my favorite. And it and Midsummer were neck and neck. And I'm I'm talking like not even just best of the year, but but best of the decade, trying to compete with each other. It's just it's extremely difficult to choose. Well, like I said, I had a very, very difficult time choosing the arrangement of my top three mm -hmm. uh, because they are all like really, really neck and neck. And it, I just had to bring it down to which one gave me the most memorable viewing experience. That was the only way that that I could that I could rank them. And so it's probably no surprise that my number one is Midsummer. I ended up seeing a grand total of three times in the theaters, twice the the theatrical version and the third time when we all went to see the director's cut. It is a just absolutely stunning film, maybe the best, one of the best examples of daylight horror that I've ever seen. Uh, more of that, more pagan horror. Give me more Wicker Man stuff. Like, we haven't talked about the Wicker Man on this podcast yet, but Midsommar gave me those same kind of vibes, and I love the Wicker Man. It's a hard choice, but Midsommar number one, baby. <laughs> yeah, just stunning, vivid cinematography. Oh my god, so incredible. And yeah, I didn't even realize until just now when I was talking about it that like four of my top five are all sophomore bump films. Yep. Like, holy shit, yeah, you that, guys. That expectation <laughs> has like of, of the sophomore slump has just been dashed on the rocks so, for me. So between all of us, we had four out of five of the films the same, right? Yeah, I think so. Ready or not, us, Midsummer and the and Lighthouse. Lighthouse. And then uh, I had The Nightingale, you had Climax, and you had it Chapter 2. And I'd be willing to bet, like, considering how much y'all equally love Climax, that it might have... Yeah. It's well, a very colorful film, isn't it? Extremely. Yes, yes. I like those, so yeah, um, that, that could very well have used Yeah, it's it been a two. solid year, and I think the fact that we had four of the same on all yeah. of our list really shows how great those four films it's, are. It's, yeah, it's a bit... It might be seen as a bit circle jerky, but I think more so it speaks to the testament yeah, of those no. four films. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, need, I need to rephrase again, like, these are all-time films. Yeah, like, like, these these directors are setting the bar extremely, extremely high. Yeah, we're moving into a golden and I'm, age. Yeah, I'm more confident than ever that, like, Jordan Peele and Ari Aster and Robert Eggers are, like, the new, the new like John Carpenter and yeah. uh, Hitchcock, even and, yeah, Hitchcock like, and Jordan to Toby Hooper. Peele's like, work is is 
you know, very Hitchcock esque. You know, he's he's got a huge backlog to contend with. Like but, these are yeah. these are the new these are the new horror auteurs, and uh, maybe they'll they'll get tired eventually. But I have no reason to think that they're gonna stop making incredible films anytime soon. Yeah, and any of those films, like you know, can can be comparable to like some of the great like seventies and eighties horror directors. But absolutely, uh, the, the thing is, like all of them are standing on the shoulders of those giants, but they they very very well bring their own style to the table, and that can be said for all of them. Agreed. Shall we move into honorable mentions? Yeah, yes. let's uh, just cover a few of the ones that didn't make our list, but still are worth a shout-out. Okay, so a few films that didn't quite make my list. The Nightingale, um, which we talked about mm -hmm. at length very recently. Child's Play, which is another movie that took me by surprise and really impressed me. Under the Silver Lake, if you count it. An amazing throwback to noir and yeah, bizarre. Yeah, if you count it as horror, I, if I, we were I if we were so. counting that one, that one usurps Ready or Not in my fifth place. But it's it's I, debatable. It's debatable, I which is which is why which right is now. why I didn't I didn't put it in there. But yeah, if we're talking about like great films, Under the Silver Lake is as like a suspense thriller, comedy thriller, really, really very very yeah. good. Um, it Chapter Two, uh, Velvet Buzzsaw. That's on my list. Came uh, early in the year. Was uh, very fun. One last movie I wanted to quickly shout out is a borderline horror movie. It's a documentary on African American and black horror uh, called Horror Noir. Oh, I've heard that that's um, it's a shutter exclusive and it's really excellent stuff. I would really recommend Ooh. seeking it out if you haven't seen it. Yes, yeah, please. I would that. love to see it. I've I've heard very good things. So, like I mentioned, both It Chapter 2 and Climax made it into uh, my top 10 uh, of the year, so definitely honorable mentions for those. Uh, Child's Play uh, there as well, one that I was not expecting much from and uh, got quite a lot of enjoyment out of. Uh, I think it's a, a worthy successor to the franchise, giving it sort of a, a new, more modern twist, but still capturing the same ethos of the original. Uh, I also want to shout out uh, Happy Death Day to You. That one just barely squeaked into my top 10, but uh, I thought that that was a, a very uh, fun sci-fi horror uh, nonsense journey that uh, made me laugh quite a bit. And uh, also Dr. Sleep. No, you guys didn't like Dr. Sleep very much, but I thought it was great, and uh, so I definitely wanted to throw that one out there as well. Velvet Buzzsaw is one that didn't make it into my top 10, but I thought was at least uh, refreshing and original enough that it's worth watching. It's like, fun. It's, it's, it's different. Uh, and that is uh, something that is woefully absent from a lot of horror films, something different and original, and Velvet Buzzsaw is definitely that, so I think it's worthy of a shout-out for that reason. Cleve, what about you? Right, so I, it's funny, uh, before the podcast, we were talking about whether we wanted to do a top 10 or top 5 of the year, and my vote went in for top 5 because there was no way I, I thought I'd seen like uh, enough films, and I actually ended up making a list of 11. Nice. <laughs> so um, I'll just go... Um, from 11 uh, and just quickly uh, rapid fire down to uh, my number six, which is Nightingale, as I've already said. Um, uh, number 11 is Crawl. It's a fun movie. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I figured I'd yeah. throw in an honorable mention for it. Enjoyable it's a nice monster time. Movie. Yeah. Uh, I like those. More of those are fun. Um, and then uh, number 10, uh, which is very important for me to mention on the list, is Dr. Sleep. There are several things I really didn't like about that movie, but 
there were several things I really liked. And the more I've had time to think about it after the podcast, the more I stand by the things that I liked. I still want to give it a shout out. Right on. <laughs> and a shout out to Mike Flanagan and just say like, no, it's it's very worth seeing. Go check it out. And just the flaws are hard. But I'm glad that we're, we are doing some honorable mentions because I did want to throw that in there. Uh, next is Velvet Buzzsaw. Uh, enough's already been said on that. Uh, after that, uh, at eight is uh, Happy Death Day. I adored that movie, and yeah. I would highly recommend it. Super fun, uh, both of them, and also went in with super low expectations. And I just loved how like back to the futury it was with its yeah. logic, and yeah, just super fun. And then uh, number seven, I'm surprised uh, I didn't hear was uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Also, some very cool moments in it. The Red Room mm-hmm. uh, has, has stuck with me more than I thought it would. I don't think I rated it super, super highly. I might have given it like a three or a four. I don't completely remember. The monsters are, are rad. The creatures, the creatures are, are super yeah. fun. And yeah. If that's your jam, like, it's... It's worth it for if that. I if I had made a top fifteen scary stories would uh would have crept in there, but didn't do enough for me to to get past the other honorable mentions that I had. But yeah, you know, overall, this was a decent to great year for horror. Oh, I definitely there's, agree. There is a decent lot. some understatement. Yeah. This I've just been overwhelmed. Yeah. Let's stay positive for a, okay. a couple more minutes before we go negative here. Sure. Uh, let's quickly just uh, mention. What movie had the best score of the year? For me, it was Midsummer. Same. Um, that Hacks and Cloak score is really incredible. The tricky part for me is when score meets sound design. If we're talking about instrumental scores, I think... We can include soundtrack in that as well. Okay, yeah, because yeah. the lighthouse, the repetition, like I really mean, the lighthouse's me. score is yeah, great. The as lighthouse's well. score yeah. is awesome. And, uh, Definitely like, honorable mention. Musically, I, I love me a sea shanty. So, from like a personal perspective, it's there. Yeah. But I think, I think when it comes to like like instrumental scoring, I would I would say Midsummer's at the top. Yeah, yeah. well, and uh, if we're talking soundtracks, Us has a fantastic yes. soundtrack, and Climax also has an yes. incredible soundtrack. Do you know who did Climax's soundtrack? Uh, it's like a continuous DJ mix, essentially. Oh, rad. Yeah. So there's a, the, in the opening credits, they have a whole list of all the DJs who yeah. supplied music, so it's it's a lot. Yeah, Climax is definitely a soundtrack more than a score. Yeah. Climax has, Climax has a great one. It's all just like Euro techno mm-hmm. dance music. Get some Aphex uh, Twin in there. Yeah, there's some, some Apex uh, Daft Punk. Uh, um, I'll definitely throw in a shout out to that weird moment in It Chapter Two, like the with, weird needle drop. The yeah. weird needle drop. The the more that I look back funny. at it, the more I like that sequence. Like it, it threw me off, and I wasn't sure how I felt about it when it happened. I loved it. Like it's great. It's, it's, it's so such, it's baffling such a that I can't help to laugh at it. Yeah. every time I think of it. Okay, going off of that, uh, let's talk about best cinematography. Um, I think the two obvious really hard. choices really hard. for me are Midsummer and The Lighthouse. Um, which one edges which out is tough. Uh, the Lighthouse is technically really impressive because they shot on, uh, you know, old cameras with old lenses as well. Uh, Midsummer is equally as impressive, you know, hearkening back to those tritone technicolor strips as inspiration, shooting all in the daytime. Uh, technically, that's incredibly difficult and really impressive. Those are my two standouts, personally. I would say that Midsummer, Us, and The Lighthouse all have notable cinematography like they're all extremely well shot and just beautiful to look at 
I think for my favorite cinematography, I think I'm actually going to say Climax. That's a great choice, too, yeah. Just because how how much of it is very extended takes, like... The whole second half of the movie is one take, essentially. Right, and just, like, how well they lit that whole space and the camera stuff that they do with it. And even, like, the, the dance sequence at the beginning, like, where it's just, like, the static camera directly over all of the dancers as each one comes in and does their own thing for a couple of minutes. Climax has some really, really powerful cinematography, and I I think that while I loved the cinematography of Midsommar, Us, and The Lighthouse, Climax impressed me more than those films did. Uh, So that's going to be mine, I think. Okay, yeah, that's a really respectable choice. Lighthouse. All three of those choices. The black and white is so, like, it's like choosing, it's a Sophie's choice, like, which one here? No. I know I said it during the the podcast too, but like when it comes to the aspect ratio, the the more time I've had to think on it, the the more I stand by. I've I've definitely come around on it in terms of the lighthouse. I'm still unsure about the nightingale, but I think that the aspect ratio for the lighthouse, like I'm on board. Yeah, it took it took me a while to get there, but I'm on board. Um. Okay. So rounding it off, best performances. Um, also extremely This one's hard. tough, too, yeah. You know, I don't want to just keep st- singing the praises of The Lighthouse, even though it deserves it, uh, because I'm just, I'm especially ditto you, Willem yeah. Dafoe <laughs> and Robert Pattinson are fantastic. Even though those are great, I'm going to give it to Samara Weaving in oh, Ready nice. or Not. Okay. I think she gives such a standout performance in that movie and is really the lifeblood of that film. When it comes to, like, just action heroes i'm i'm putting her like on bruce campbell level she's so damn likable yeah it's great yeah no she's bruce campbell's actually a great comparison she's less over the top than he is in evil dead but it's but he's got that bitter like resentful like kind of thing going for it and it's just so often wisecracking and fun and very very likable right and and it's what saved that film from just being like a battery porn movie in my opinion like like she's so charismatic like she's delightful i don't know if it like tops out like the the lighthouse performances for me or even i know a lot of people have qualms with uh the performance for um what's her name in, in midsummer the main character danny yeah danny, with yeah. Uh, florence pugh's performance yeah with florence's performance i actually uh, really like I, her performance I, I'm, I'm holding it up there with the rest i i think it's incredibly real it struck me yeah well in terms of midsummer they they did really believable performances when especially when they're like tripping like i think that film is 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 known to i mean clearly (laughs) but i i think that i think that film is is kind of prone to uh misrepresent what people are like on on drugs like famously they almost never get what like being stoned on pot is like but this i think that in midsummer they they did a really great job of characterizing people who are under the effect of hallucinogenic also can't argue with the lighthouse like those are two powerhouse performances but what i'm gonna say for my favorite i'm gonna say lupita nyong'o for us because she plays two distinctly different characters a lot of which are in the same scene so being able to like convincingly portray both of those 
uh, and be able to work off of each other. It's really impressive. I, I think, I think it, she's. I think she gives my standout performance of the year. When it comes to the greatest challenges to overcome, and I think the the greatest feats, it's it's pretty objectively her. Lupita Nyong'o just just really did like show yeah, up. I that. agree, and, and that I think that is like one of she, the greatest challenges. Yeah, it's to such have, a physical performance that it's really excellent. Um, the one minor thing about that is over the time since we recorded that episode, I will say the weird voice. Oh, I like it. Yeah, it's the doppelganger. Because she's, she's, she's had her windpipe crushed because the, the, the doppelganger chokes her at the beginning when she's a child. So she's speaking through a damaged windpipe. It works for me. Yeah, yeah I, it, I, it stuck I'm, out. I'm on board with that. I want to ask you guys, uh, and I'm still trying to figure out what mine is, but it, it came to me, uh, special effects. What's your favorite, oh, like, okay. you know, moment of like of just uh, yeah of a, of a of an effect sequence, whether it's practical or, or CG? I'm gonna say Midsummer, talking about like the hallucinogenic sequences and the realism behind that, like the way that they portray like hallucinogenic visuals is very on point. Uh, to the extent that at certain times I feel like I'm tripping while watching the movie. And I think that to just add to that immersion, it's a great use of CG, uh, subtly, but believably. Yeah. Sure. It's, it's midsummer for me as well. I think, yeah, when it, when it comes to the faces in the trees that I didn't even notice. Yeah. For like after two viewings. Yeah. Same. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. Excellent like, stuff. And I, I agree with you guys. I do also want to shout out a, particular scene in Ready or Not that I'm not going to spoil. The, the end? Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. And Those are great uh, effects. Yeah. As well as the head in Child's Play. Oh, and yeah. And how it's used <laughs> so yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, uh, that is really They get fun. their mileage out of that prop, to say the least. Agreed. All right. Now it's time for the negs. It's time for the five worst films of 2019. Do you want to go in the same order or switch it up? Let's switch it up. Let's start with you this time, Cleveland. Cool. I think that's reasonable only because I, I think I was probably the most offended maybe by some of the movies this year. Could be wrong. I was pretty looking offended back, by some of these. Yeah, like looking back, I just remember like how angry I was at a couple of these films. Um, but it's it's always hard to tell because it's, it's kind of hard to, to self-reflect. But what is your fifth worst? film of the year so one of the reasons i wanted to include my top 10 is because oddly enough one of my top 10 picks for best also goes into the worst at number five and that's dr sleep um oh. i uh like i said the moments i liked you, i liked you did, a lot you did watch fewer films than ben and i did this year that's that's true that is well. true and, and i'm sure that, that that has a large effect on the that scoring and I'll, I'll give you that discount jack nicholson is <laughs> is an affront <laughs> oh. and and again I'll, I'll still say shout out to mike flanagan i i loved a great deal of that movie but that's unacceptable it really really bothered me and has continued to bother me that they thought that was okay to do and that that made a passing grade um that's pretty funny that dr sleep made it into your best and worst of yeah, the year it's <laughs> it's it's, it's number 10 on best and it's number five on worst so okay. all right yeah. ben what's your fifth worst okay film so i do want to preface this by saying about half of my list are movies we didn't talk about on the podcast good Bring i've fresh seen a whole nice. lot of movies this year all five of and, mine are ones we talked about and on the unfortunately Same. some of the movies i saw this year were so bad 
that they upset me and I didn't want to cover them on the podcast. Um, so oh boy. Uh, my fifth worst movie is actually a tie. The reason I have it as a tie, I'll explain, is I had Wrinkles the Clown. Damn, um, I wanted to watch see that movie. Which is a documentary on kind of the clown craze and an old man who is a scary clown. The thing is, it's not really a horror movie. It's not really a documentary with anything to say. And it's... Is it like a faux documentary? Not, I thought it no, was like it's, a... No, it's a real documentary. Oh, oh and, really? Yep, I didn't know that. Yep. And it's not good. It's not good so at all. like Ronkles it's, the Clown. <laughs> it's a waste of time. Uh, but since it's not really a horror movie, um, I decided to also put in The Perfection. The oh Perfection. My God, how did I. <gasps> was, what have I done? <laughs> the Perfection was list. an absolute train wreck. Okay, you know what? Uh, no, credit to Dr. Sleep. I'm replacing my number five <laughs> with The Perfection. But how did I. I just utter brain fart on that one. Uh, Dr. Sleep, you're fine. C- compared to the, the affront <laughs> that was The Perfection, uh, no, my whole list is fucked now. Uh, what a disjointed mess. What a disgrace. What frankly. a misguided attempt at uh, woke boss feminism. Love me some feminism. Hate me that movie. That's I, that shit's propaganda. Man. Annihilation like, oh is feminism. Yeah, well, the perfection like is it's not. It's a, no. it's a misguided attempt yeah. at it because in the third act, and you can listen to our mid-year catch-up for more of this. I, I suggest you do. They do not do those ideas correctly. Man, they don't even do. It's and not, it doesn't it stop is there. a nightmare. They, they they make an attempt at making a film, as far as I'm concerned, and I give a big old side eye to anyone who who is. Uh, praising that movie. It's about three different movies in one. Yeah. Um, and, and none of them hit the mark. Exactly. So that's my number five. Uh, Wrinkles the Clown is technically tied, but I don't know if you want to consider it a horror movie. I certainly don't. Okay. Sort of a, a mix up there, a, a wrinkle and clown, if you will. <laughs> yes. All right. My number five is Pilgrim. Like I said on our episode about Pilgrim, it was fun to watch it with you guys. It was a good little Thanksgiving gag, but man, the fisheye lens is uh, so bad to look at, and uh, ultimately, I didn't think any of the stuff was fun enough for me to want to go back to it. So uh, Pilgrim is my fifth worst film of the year. Pilgrim. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Wayne. Um, uh, What's number uh, four for you, Cleve? By the way, Mr. Wayne, uh, your uh, views are outdated and you need to get off this podcast. Have Uh, I been canceled, Pilgrim? uh, I'm not going to be that person to say that, but uh, (laughs) I don't want to be put in that position. (laughs) I mean, I will cancel Pilgrims for killing all the Native Americans. Oh, that's that's very easy to say. That's not that one's But will you cancel John Wayne 40 Uh, years after his death <laughs> yeah I, it seems like a futile thing but um, anyway anyway like- sorry for that um uh my number four is surprisingly uh considering my my views on it and i kind of defended it on the podcast a little bit i'm still putting it number four is pet cemetery Okay. Which I'm probably seeing it might might be on y'all's lists as well. Um, Not mine. No, Pet Cemetery uh, is like mid mid tier for uh, me. The the nihilistic ending. The more I think about it, the more it bothered me. Even though I was the one who wasn't bothered by it on the podcast when we spoke about it so much and kind of defended it for its its merits leading up to that sequence and its its changes. No, it's a drab, dreary film, and the ending is gross. 
Yeah, yeah. It's not good, and uh, it, it's problematic. And it does a number of things right, once again, that I can give credit to, but I would say the, the perfection is far, far worse, and there are probably several others. My list can be rearranged, but um, I, I think Pet Sematary is worth it's mentioning. A, it's a good choice, and it's a choice that would be on my list if I only had movies we covered on the podcast, frankly. Even so, it's um, still my it's still mid-tier for me. Didn't think it was great. I thought Pet Sematary was okay. So, uh, but what, what's your number four? My ben? number four is a little movie called Hellboy. <laughs> Mine too. My, okay, my number good. four is also Hellboy. Um, because what, uh, what a train wreck. <laughs> um, that's an understatement. Oh my God. Talk about putting a franchise in the dirt. Yeah, that's a, that's mm-hmm. a thermonuclear train wreck is what that is. <laughs> Good lord. And, like, the more I think about it, the more it pisses me off because Mm -hmm. they could have done the conclusion to Guillermo del Toro's trilogy that we're now never going to see. Well, and the most baffling part about it to me is... that Hellboy's directed by Neil Marshall. Yeah, it has a good director. It has a good cast. The pieces didn't add up. Yeah, I I love David Harbour, and I I think he's a great actor, and I don't think he's one of the problems with the movie, but, yeah, I I think that considering the, the budget that it had it could have done so many better things and instead it tried to just do as many cg sequences as it could it could pack in there and they're all rough across the board well i mentioned uh, it's, it. it's higher up on my list i mentioned episode you know like it feels like a whole omnibus of comic books shoved into one movie it is where you know it's way too much too much is going on like they don't give you enough time they're just trying to cram in as many set pieces as possible and they don't feel like they fit together at all it's like a four-year-old who doesn't quite get the concept of puzzles and is just trying to force the pieces together. And when you look at what it's what he's done, it's not a picture. No, it's yeah. Uh, as, as, as Bilbo Baggins once wonderfully said, like warm butter over too much bread. It's fucking trash. Well, keep, it's my I, it's my number four. As I well. always yeah, think that's higher that, up on my. that <laughs> sequence in the middle with the the big monsters and how like in a normal movie that would be like half an hour probably. Yeah, and then this movie, it's like two and a half minutes, maybe. Yeah, yeah. They, they cut to it. Yeah. And that's it. Well, Cleveland, what's your number three? My number three is The Pilgrim. That's where it's going for oh, me. okay. Uh, I, it literally gave me a migraine. I don't need to say anything. That's funny. You rated Pilgrim higher than I did, but you put it lower on your worst of the year list than mine. Mm-hmm. I like that. It's funny how that goes, you know? Yeah. No, Pilgrim's Wait till you see my decade list. <laughs> number three for me is a movie called Greta. Um, oh, I forgot about Greta, too. Good Lord, Ben. Yeah, you're just reminding <laughs> me of yeah. all these things that I just deleted from my memory. Like, <laughs> Probably for the best. Man, That's I, why just, you should have a letterbox. I'll let you say your bit about Greta, but um, Greta. Greta. <laughs> it is kind of an enjoyable train wreck mm-hmm. at times. Uh, for the majority of it, no. It is nearing so bad it's good levels, but it is a fever dream, to say the least. In a bad way. Isabel Hubbard yeah. uh, gives a completely batshit performance. Batshit in a bad way. There's in no logic. Yeah. It, it tries to be like a like a, a detective thriller, but there's there's no there's no chain. Probably. And uh, especially in the third act, it goes it goes places and not good places. Uh, yeah, it's number three 
on my list. I, I'll add in on that since it's on my list too. I don't even remember uh, and, and don't care to remember uh, whether we saw that in the theaters or whether we streamed it, but regardless. That was our catch up. Of, re- that was in our catch up. Regardless, so I want my money back. <laughs> yeah, thank God we didn't go see it yeah, in the theaters. I, I, yeah, I'm, okay, good. I'm glad I didn't pay money to see that film. Okay, so my, my number three is Glass. Uh, one of our first films of the year, a fucking trash film, uh, especially in regards to the legacy of Unbreakable and Split, two films that I I enjoy both of for different reasons. The whole idea of trying to bring them together into one is just such a fucking mess. It gets fun in like the last 30 minutes, but at that point you've already sat through an hour and a half of the movie and everything up to that is completely incomprehensible. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely like glass fucking sucked. Cleveland, what's your number two? That was Hellboy. That's Hellboy, that's where okay. that's where Hellboy goes for me. Wow, um, number two. Yeah, uh, TC, you brought it up one time to me that you've noticed that the films that that tend to rub me the wrong way are usually the ones that are the least faithful to their source material when they don't bring a a, a good voice to that adaptation. I I think that you can make a a, a film that is not faithful to its source material that does bring its own voice and is still of high high regard but when you don't you're just you're just insulting yeah you're totally. just insulting like uh something greater that's come before you and uh that's no good uh, hellboy hellboy's pretty high up on my list for that uh but man i'll say it again the perfection was rough <laughs> <laughs> man yes it was ben what's your number two uh, my number two is a movie we didn't talk about on the podcast Thankfully, <laughs> a movie in the classic subgenre of boomer technology horror oh, that we've gotten multiple oh, of. Boy. See our second episode uh, for more of that with Friend Request, for example. Yeah. This movie falls in that camp 100%. In a lot of ways, it feels like the spiritual successor to Friend Request. In a lot of the bad ways, um, it's a movie called Countdown. Countdown, for all of you that. that aren't familiar with it, is about an app that tells you how long you have left to live. Oh, that one. Oh. <gasps> Yep. I almost went to see it with you in the theater, but I was busy and I'm I'm glad yeah, I did. Yeah, I have I have A list, AMC A list. So I didn't have to pay for it, thankfully. Otherwise, I would never have gone to see this. But I went to see it in the theaters a few weeks back and it is not good. I'm going to spoil a little bit here. The source code of the app is written in Latin because I guess Latin is spooky. Latin is spooky and well, Satan Satan made yeah, the app. Satan right? made the app essentially. <laughs> Well, Super Satan, because if you break the terms and conditions, your fate is no longer sealed by Satan, but Super Satan. I can't remember the lad name for it, but it's really stupid. It's Super AIDS all over the, again. I want to emphasize that in the climax of this movie... Our lead injects herself with a bunch of heroin to make herself OD and die, and then has another character inject her with Narcan to bring her back to life. So she Pulp Fictions herself. Yeah, essentially. Awesome. She cheats death. Does it break the app because she does that? Essentially. The idea was... When she's dead, does she battle Satan? 
No. In a CG sequence? No, not quite. Oh, it's bummer. not that it's not that inventive. <laughs> um, the idea is if you die before or after it, I guess it breaks the app. It no longer works for everyone. Great. So she was trying to murder this dude who was really rapey to her at work for a while. And then that didn't work, so she just shot herself up with a bunch of heroin. But of course, nothing matters, because at the very end of the movie, she's walking away from her parents' grave and looks at her phone, and guess what? Countdown 2.0 is on her phone. There's gotta be sequel material. It's a fucking train wreck. It's on the same level as friend request in terms of, like, boomers writing for teenagers and also not understanding technology. I gotta say, like, missing a date is, like, a mild inconvenience. It shouldn't be, like, what thwarts the the enemy. <laughs> like, like well, thwarts the antagonistic app. Miss, missing like, it's like the, a Y2K, missing the like, time, yeah. like, logic kind of thing. It's, it sounds, that's hilarious. It sounds like trash. It's yeah. a train wreck, and... I'm glad uh, I didn't see we it. We spared ourselves. Honestly, I was nearing picking this for the wrap-up before I saw it. So I'm glad I Thank saw you. it before Thank that you. because we dodged a fucking bullet. Thank you for sparing us from that. Uh, my number two is The Perfection. I've said many times on this podcast, the films that make me the most frustrated are the ones that have the biggest potential. And I think, like, the first act of The Perfection is genuinely uh, well done, intriguing. Uh, the premise is rad. Yeah, like, it wraps you up and starts to engross you and then just takes you into the garage, holds you down, and shits in your mouth. And I fucking hated that movie. It's it's uh, absolute dog shit. I won't say any more about that. Cleveland, yeah. what is the worst film of 2019 in oh, your opinion? I think you know. <laughs> I think you know what my pick is. I didn't have to think about this at all. No contest for me. Glass. It was. I knew I it. Yeah. Was thrown into a bit of rage, and I, I I disagree about the third act. I think the third act is the the largest affront. There's been several pieces of media that have come out since uh, we saw Glass that have provided legitimate commentary on the superhero franchise for instance the boys yeah other stuff we've also seen uh several other works that do a also do a horrible job of providing commentary on the franchise such as hbo's watchmen which i i we do not have the time to unpack nor is it relevant but this film is so far up its own ass and to have your climax be in a parking lot where it just provides poor commentary on the comic book genre by having the characters literally narrate this is where the bad guy does X is so ham-fistedly, amateuristically written that it just goes to further provide evidence for me that M. Night Shyamalan, when he's good, it's out of luck. Like, I, I, I just, <laughs> like, the Avatar movie, this, there are just so many affronts. Yeah, he got lucky with The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, that's about it. Like... Signs in the village are okay. Like, it's extremely rough, and I love all the actors involved in this film. I think Unbreakable is still a great movie. I feel like James McAvoy's performance in Split is great, but the film itself, I'm honestly not a huge fan of. The more I think about it, just 
kind of the, the more it, it kind of leaves me feeling neutral or nothing. But Glass, it, it has no logic. Its commentary is really non-existent. Like, what what is it trying to say about superheroes films? And I agree with the sentiment. I'm completely exhausted by these superhero movies. And I grew up on them. I love them. And I'm tired of it, frankly. I'm, I'm an adult man. I'm, I'm over it. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm over superhero films. Yeah, and dog. Go off, King. So, again, I agree with the premise, but anytime I think about this movie, I, j- I just see red. I, it just, it, it drives me up the goddamn wall. Okay, well, that's enough for me. What's um, yours from I, I don't hate Glass quite as much as you guys. I still don't think it's very good, and it's probably my bottom ten. I, uh, I like the last half an hour. I think Bruce Willis actually gives his best performance in almost a decade just because he's checked out otherwise in every other movie. Sure. And the production design is pretty solid as well. Um, My number one is a movie we didn't cover on the podcast. Okay, so I want to preface this. A new Tarantino movie came out this year. Oh, I know where you're going. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It is an excellent film on the 60s Hollywood and some of the Manson stuff. So after seeing that movie, I did see that there were a couple other Manson-themed movies coming out this year. On a whim, I decide to watch The Haunting of Sharon Tate. I remember you telling me about this one. Boy, was that a mistake. Lizzie McGuire's own Hilary Duff playing Sharon Tate. (laughs) And it becomes a dream inside of a dream ghost story. Of the Tate murders with actors that look like they're ripped straight out of reality TV, like Vanderpump rules, essentially. It is a disgusting, disgusting, offensive, awful, awful movie. I was going to say, it sounds offensive to the memory of Sharon Tate. It is. It is. It's absolutely offensive. It's really exploitative. It's honestly one of the few movies this year that have really upset me watching them. Um, It's one of the worst horror movies of the decade. I really hate it, and I can't even recommend seeing it. You know, at least movies like The Perfection or Greta or even Glass, there's something you can laugh at in them. This movie has nothing. I would not recommend anyone to see it. It's it's really awful. Less dramatic, maybe, uh, but my least favorite film of 2019 was Greta. Hands down, worst movie I saw this year. Once again, insulting because the actors involved are people that I like. Uh, Isabelle Huppert is a fantastic actress. Uh, I think Chloe Grace Moritz is decent, and Micah Monroe is great. All great actresses, and the script of this film is an affront to their acting ability. Uh, Isabelle Huppert is cartoonish in this movie, something that I never thought I would see from her, and it's just a a complete train wreck of a film. Uh, And it's a... It's a great example, too, of a film that is not entertainingly bad. It's just boring and obnoxious. I started to be entertained towards the end, but once again, it's too little too late. Like, I wouldn't sit through the rest of the movie for, like, the ten minutes of laughs I got at the end. It's just a bad movie. Fun fact, the two most contentious reviews compared to Letterboxd ratings 
are two of our worst movies. Oh, really? Uh, Greta actually has like a 2.9 on Letterboxd. Please tell me the other one's the perfection. And we each gave it a one star. Yeah. And the other one's Glass. Oh, okay, word. Which I think got about a 2.9 or a 3. Oh, um, good, The Perfection honestly. also has a 2.9. I just pulled it up. So oh, does it? Same with, oh, uh, my faith yeah. in society but is compared well, to our redeemed, ratings yeah. at the time. It's the most drastically different yeah. from the Letterboxd rating. Well, those are the worst films of 2019, and that puts 2019 in the grave. Rest in peace, bitch. You were a good year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, but also a bad year. <laughs> Now, moving on to our next segment, we are going to talk about our picks for best horror films of the decade. On this episode, we'll be covering our 10 through 6 choices, and next week we'll do 5 through 1. So there's a whole lot to talk about. I'm going to try to keep my picks brief. I do want to preface with at least my list. I didn't expect you guys to do this, but I wanted to give a little bit of extra variety to my list. So I put the limitation of one movie per director. Just an arbitrary thing yeah, I for didn't my do list. That. I um, that. Gives I have, it a little bit more variety. Yeah. I have two directors with two films on my Yeah, list. I was I worried that I would have like four or five directors with two films each. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really want that. Well, why don't you start then? Sure. So at number 10 was a little movie uh, that came out in 2016 directed by Fede Alvarez. It's a movie called Don't Breathe. This is a movie that really surprised me. I wasn't expecting much going in. Little did I know that it was going to be one of the most tense experiences I've ever seen. One of the best uses of sound design I've ever seen. The movie is delightfully sleazy, especially in the second half of it. It's really gross. And the whole environment of having it all set in Detroit adds to the atmosphere in such a rich way. The acting is also incredible. It's just an incredible movie. It's a movie we haven't talked about yet on the podcast, but I hope to change that uh, this upcoming year. I would also really like um, to because talk it, about it, Don't Breathe. It's worth yeah. another look. It's really a great movie. Uh, I ended up having 12 films that I saw this decade that I rated five stars, 12 horror films. So my top 10 are all five star rated films, and I had to cut out two of those. And I'll talk about that when we get into honorable mentions. Uh, But my 10th favorite film of the decade uh, is Us. I won't rehash too much. We've already talked about it ad nauseum. Jordan Peele is a filmmaker who makes fucking bangers so and you've got five on it yeah i got five on it so uh yeah us is my is my number 10 fucking fantastic film cleave um uh right so my list was just a a continuous mess i kept moving stuff around throwing things on there that y'all might even find like reprehensible wherever on my list at all they're still in my honorable mentions i spent far more time on this list 
far more time on this list than I did on my yearly picks, and I'm way less confident in it. Likely several times uh, during this, uh, y'all will give something. I'll be like, oh my god, how did I not put that on there? I, I'm, I'm already seeing that happening. Okay. Um, but my number 10, surprisingly, like out of like several other highly rated choices, uh, is Hush. Also a great film. So once again, shout out to Mike Flanagan. I adore that movie. You know, a lot of people feel somewhat neutral about it, but when it comes to Hunter Killer movies, I haven't seen Don't Breathe, but a similar vein of film uh, with a, a, a deaf protagonist who's actually well-written and believable. The film's logic is just so on point. You're tr- you can track the entire movie. It's a delightful cat and mouse game. The protagonist feels believably able. Whenever she outsmarts the killer, it just it feels so fucking earned. I really respect this movie. Yeah, the, the, the puzzle yeah. solving is great, and so Hush it's Hush is a is a strong. It's a great 10. choice, and Mike Flanagan has had so many great movies. Yeah, even in this decade, you know, Hush is probably my favorite film um, that he's done. Yeah, and I think if I were to pick one, it would probably be Hush. Probably with Oculus as a yeah, second. I like Oculus um, and Gerald's game as well. But I do like also elevate it. Yeah, I think. yeah, definitely doing so um, much with so little. I do also want to give a shout out to uh, Fede Alvarez with Evil Dead. Um, okay. I think I'm going to do that with some of these directors because I picked only one of their films. Sure, multiple of their films are worth a mention. Uh, but there's only going to be one per. Um, so my next, my number nine, is a little movie called The Guest. Ooh, now, The Guest, the guest is, is an excellent bit of action horror. Really takes you by surprise. Dan Stevens, as the titular main character, gives an incredible, incredible performance. All of the character actor bit parts from people like Lance Reddick are really unique and fun. Um, the script by Simon Barrett is excellent. Adam Wingard hits it out of the park. It's one. It has one of my favorite soundtracks of any movie. Um, really excellent stuff. Who did it? It's a collection of like EBM and goth electronic. I know Survive from did a few the nineties. Oh, fun. Yes, um, as well. Yeah, Adam Wingard. He's a great director. I almost put. You're next on this list, but personally, I think I prefer The Guest. Between the two of them, I think I agree with you. The Guest is a really great uh, It's a It's a shame that Adam Wingard has not been on the best streak lately with uh, the Death Note movie yeah, and no uh, the new Blair Witch. But, you know, movies like You're Next and The Guest make me hopeful for a future with whatever he does. Uh, no, I agree. The Guest is a good choice. That's a fucking great film. Uh, my number nine is a 2011 film by Drew Goddard, uh, Cabin in the Woods. Excellent. That made yes. my honorable mentions by like high on my yeah, honorable Cabin mentions. Yeah, Cabin in the that's one that we haven't talked about on the podcast yet, and uh, I also hope to change in the next year. Cabin in the Woods is a fucking fantastic film. It's extremely meta. Uh, it is a love letter to the horror genre as well as an examination of the tropes and a satirization of the tropes as well. Uh, just a really fantastic, fun movie. Does a really good job of balancing more kind of graphic horror with uh, just really sharp, witty writing and dialogue. Uh, yeah, Cabin in the Woods, if you it's, it's almost 10 years old at this point. If you still haven't seen 
seen it, I, I couldn't recommend it more, especially if you're a fan of horror. Just like the references and homages are, are just so on point and delightful. It's, it, it was really a watershed moment when it came out, too. Totally. I feel like that movie in particular crossed over beyond horror fans to really saturate the mainstream yeah in a way few horror movies do i think one of the few great examples of that would be like get out or something like that a bit of an aside but i feel like it's relevant in my honorable mentions one of the ones that for a good while was on my list that you sort of that even usurped cabin in the woods for me it's a very similar uh kind of like comedic dark take on the horror genre was uh tucker and dale versus evil I, That's a great, great I, movie. I just adore that movie. And when it comes to moments, like the accidental wood chipper bit is still makes me giggle every time I think about it. Uh, but my number nine is, uh, and one of the reasons too, I wanted to kind of talk about Tucker and Dale instead, because my number nine is one from this year uh, with Ready or Not. The, the, Which the also fits in that same camp. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I just, I love, I love that dark comedy take. And so, yeah, I just figured just take the moment to talk about Tucker and Dale instead. I, I love Alan Tudyk and it's, it's one of my favorite performances of his and it does a great job of subverting the killer genre it's absolutely worth a mention uh my number eight is a movie called piranha piranha is a blast it's one of the perfect examples of grindhouse b movies done in a more modern style it's really colorful really fun i have a blast every time i watch it Piranha was actually one of my 12 five-star rated films that I had to edge out of my top 10. That one definitely deserves an honorable mention. Go back and listen to our episode on Piranha 3D. That's a fucking fantastic, fun film. It's another one I'm still yet to see. My number eight is uh, The Babadook from 2014 by Jennifer Kent. We just recently talked about The Nightingale, and uh, we also have an episode on The Babadook. Really uh, original, moody, atmospheric, Australian horror, great performances, very good writing, uh, what the the monster represents and how the protagonist deals with it uh, is very poignant and the, 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 the way that they conclude it all too with her just locking the monster in the basement uh, and just ha- she knows she has to live with it forever but you know she's gonna she's gonna fucking uh, deal with it day by day. Definitely one of the best of the decade. My number eight is The Black Coat's Daughter. Nice. That's where it's going for me. Every time I think about the kowtowing, my stomach drops. If you want to go with literally your gut, that's what brings it onto the list. Black Coat's Daughter is, is, is a chilling performance. It's it's like an anti-shining film. Like, it's it's just it's that you know, like gripping madness with such a, a, a different satanic perspective. And well, I, I adore that movie. We'll see if uh, Oz Perkins can keep it up in the next decade with uh, Gretel and Hansel. Yeah, one of our uh, first in films January. for 2020. Okay, so number seven. Uh, I won't repeat myself too much. Uh, this is a 2019 movie. Climax goes up here on my nice. list. Wow. Um, it, God, I've got to see this film. It is unbelievably immersive. Really a standout movie. It took me a while to make this list, but that movie in particular was so immersive and atmospheric 
that I couldn't keep it off of my list. It had to be on there. It's an excellent movie. Listen to the Climax episode if you want more yeah. on that. It's funny, both of y'all's last picks, Black Coat's Daughter and Climax, uh, did end up on my honorable mentions list uh, because they're both very, very good films. Uh, my number seven is Get Out from 2017 by Jordan Peele, the second Jordan Peele film on my best of the decade list. I mean, we've talked about Get Out. We have an episode on Get Out. If Jordan Peele is not on your radar at this point, he absolutely should be. Like, there was never any question that both of his films would end up on uh, on my best of the decade list. And Get Out is one that I've just grown to appreciate more and more the number of times I watch it. Great performances, funny, meaningful, and spooky, too. So, fuck yeah, Get Out. <laughs> One of the interesting things about the decade for me is while you guys went to film school and spent a great deal of time studying cinema and keeping relevant with cinema this past decade. To phrase it differently, while uh, I was out drinking, you guys were studying The Blade. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, my list from here on out, uh, from from seven to one, is a mess only in that I can I can exchange any of these these out from seven to one, sure. and it's it's all over the place. If anything, I, that's it, props also the quality of films, right? Like at at seven, like it surprises me. Like when I went back to look at the list, that it's at seven. You know that it's not at number one, uh, and that's it. Follows it. Follows is a is a masterpiece. The tall man entering the room again. You want to talk about stomach drops? Uh, this this film is littered with them. Masterclass once again with doing so much with so little. Considering the budget for that movie, I just I, I I can't like help but stand up and just applaud it. Um, well, at number six, like I said at the beginning, I picked one movie per director, and so my Jordan Peele pick was Get Out. Um, while I love Us, I feel like Get Out was more of a watershed moment in horror in terms so of too. pop culture saturation. So I think it's more of a an important cultural milestone in terms of film. While I may prefer Us a little bit, I think Get Out is definitely worthy of that spot. It's a great movie with a great sense of humor, and it's one that stands up and will hopefully stand the test of time. My number six is a film from last year, and is Annihilation by Alex Garland. This is a movie that I had some gripes with on a first viewing, that uh, pretty much all of those have gone out the window in subsequent viewings. Uh, You can go back and listen to our episode on it uh, to see what I'm talking about, but just a testament to this film is... Like, a couple of months ago, I was trying to find a movie to watch, and I spent, like, 30 minutes scrolling through Netflix and Hulu, being like, okay, what am I going to watch? Oh, this looks good. Maybe I'll watch this one. And by the end of it, I was just like, fuck it. I'm just going to rewatch Annihilation for the sixth time. And the fact that I have been so drawn back to that film easily puts it in my top ten. Uh, number six, once again, surprised it's so low on my list. Uh, this is also where my best of the decade list conflicts with my best of the year list. 
and uh, y'all y'all just figure it out. I, I I think it's an it's a nice opportunity to rank them differently just just to show how they're they're all fucking great and it's apples and oranges at the end of the day. Sure. So I don't I don't feel bad that my lists conflict. Uh, it is Midsummer the gas mask and the leap those sequences. Are, are the ultimate gut drops. They still, like, give me, like, fake PTSD. Like, they're just, they're out of this world. That whole movie is uh, one of my, yeah, one of the best takes on Psychedelia, and we've already talked about it. I do, uh, just looking at my list now, I do think it's worth mentioning that seven of my ten films are post-2015. Almost all of them. Um, I think that that really shows, like, what a, a stride the horror genre oh, hit, hit uh, in, in 2016 onward. We'll talk more about that next week when we do our top five of the decade, but you'll just have to wait. That'll be our first episode of 2020 uh, will be our our wrap up of the best films of the decade. And we will also be doing our predictions for uh, the films of 2020. And Ben will be giving us the films that we're going to catch up on. I'm going to uh, sign you some films. I'm being a little merciful. I have some picks that will hopefully be good, so we'll see. I'm hopeful. Uh, at least I, I hope that you're kind to us. Uh, <laughs> uh, but until then, if you like the show, please go on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review, uh, or anywhere else you listen to your podcast that allows you to rate. Do the ding-dang thing. Uh, follow us on Twitter at PodPeoplePod or at Letterbox.com slash PodPeoplePod to look at all these lists. We made all these lists for you, so you can look at them uh, more closely over there and uh, see our golden pods as well. You can find me on Twitter at DeepStateOzzy. And I'm at Mr. Sheets. And, and just to clarify, that's that's deep state Ozymandias is the the gag, right? Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, just yeah, so yeah, our viewers yeah. understand that you're not a deep state Ozzy Osbourne fan. That would no, be, no, no, no. I yeah, am. I, I am. To be clear, I, it's, it's commentary. I folks. am the I am the deep state Ozymandias controlling everything <laughs> from behind the scenes, <laughs> teleporting interdimensional aliens into our world, and getting Robert Redford elected president. Uh, all of these things and much more are at my fingertips. <laughs> uh, but where can they find you, tw- uh, Cleveland? They can find me on uh, Twitter, tweeting for Light Arc Studio from time to time. But most importantly, you can find me directing It Stares Back, our lovely, lovely horror indie strategy game. Can you dig it? Go check it out. Go online. Check out uh, It Stares Back on Steam for a wonderful worthy price of only six dollars i think we're coming up on doing a sale pretty soon too and then uh we'll be coming up on releasing some more content over the next few months go check it out you heard the word join our discord as well you can find the link to that at light arc studio if you so choose uh all right well that will bring this episode to an end stay tuned next week for the conclusion of best of the decade on the pod, people. I am a quiver with anticipation. And who knows what 2020 will bring. We will find out after this. Ooh.